right, all right. Let's give it up for our worship team one more time. Wow. Grace was nervous. She made me nervous. Now I'm up here. I'm nervous too. Um, welcome to Greater Life Church. My name is Moises. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, again, it's nice to see you this morning. I noticed that now, right, like I'm preaching again back to back, and I would tell you again to tell the person next to you, but there's no one there to tell, so I mean, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You would have had to have been here last week. Um, another bone to pick, right? Landon, again, did it again, right? If you look at the note sheet in front of you, uh, he, he has no space. Apparently, I am the fallen king today, so uh, he just, he keeps getting after me with that. I don't, I don't like that, Landon. That's not right. I am not the fallen king on the part six of this sermon series that we've been going over. Um, now, we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Um, I can't, I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of nervous, anxious with this sermon today because it's, it's going to be one of those difficult sermons because um, we're going to be talking about sin. And that's one of those kind of uncomfortable things where, you know, probably a big percent of, of you guys wish you never came to church today and you want to walk out right now. Hopefully that's not the case, but um, we're kind of going to pick right back up where we started. So I want to pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you. I just pray right now that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from you whatever you have in store. It is your spirit, spirit that will speak to us this morning, Lord. And we're going to be thankful for whatever you have for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Now my energy's still up. So I'm bringing that, all right? So I hope you had your coffee this morning. I'm going to get loud, go fast. <laughs> so we picked right back up where we started. So we, we have been walking through the highs and lows of David. Um, I'll explain something to you. Since today I'm going to be talking about uh, sin, I, I want to tell you, and I'll be honest with you, because I do this weird thing, all right? You may think that when I'm speaking, I'm working myself around the room, right? But if you notice, there's a particular group of people that I stare to when I speak, right? So if you're that person that has gotten stared by me while I'm preaching a sermon, all right, don't feel like I'm like coming at you, okay? I just pick random people in the crowd that I kind of, you know, look at, right, as I'm talking, okay? So I don't want to say, you sinful, and then I look at Leonard, and Leonard's like, wait a second, right? <laughs> Listen, unless the Spirit is doing something, I, I, I don't want to. But what we, we finally come to the place where David becomes king, all right? He becomes king of, of, of just Judah for half, seven and a half years. And until that other son of Saul who was, who was placed as king for the remainder, remainder of the territory that was available in, in, in considering Israel... And, and that son dies, and then David becomes king of the entire thing, all right? So the rest of 2 Samuel, we see the next 33 years of David's life as king over all Israel with Jerusalem as his capital. And so far, the record's like this, okay? He, he, David comes from humble beginnings. He's a giant killer, two, de two decades of strong leadership, 
a military force that everyone respected, boundaries that now reach over 60,000 square miles, no defeats on the battlefield, strong national defense, financial health, beautiful home. What can possibly go wrong? Right? But the Bible never flatter, flatters its, its heroes, right? All the men and women in Scripture have feet of clay. And when the Holy Spirit paints the picture, man, he's a realistic artist. I'm, I'm, I'm personally, uh, he, he doesn't ignore, deny, or overlook the dark side of someone. I, I, aren't you glad that the Scripture is already written? Right? Could you imagine what our stories would say, especially if no detail was left out? Maybe yours would be a pretty one. Right? But the reality is that when the Holy Spirit puts this down on paper, it's pretty incredible to see men of God in such high standards falling over different things throughout Scripture. Now, today we get to see David facing one of the greatest defeats, all right? And this one didn't come by an enemy or, or, or a challenging army or, or another son of somebody, another man. It was actually a woman. <laughs> I wanted the booth to put some kind of like, dung, dung, dung after that, right? But they, they, they rejected the request this morning. I, I, anyway, so I told them I would do it, and I just did it, but... Um, so, but the reality of this whole entire story is that David really ended up defeating himself. I'm a firm believer, and I'll say this, I'll go on a little tantrum here. I'm a firm believer that you are your biggest obstacle. Your problem is not, well, it is, right, the devil. But, it, you know, the biggest obstacle you have is yourself, is the person in front of the mirror, right? We, I, I, I've said this before. Is that we tend to be pretty arrogant people to believe that with all the tragedies around the world, the devil is at Min Hill, North Carolina, in your bedroom, <laughs> trying to destroy your life. Not, not that he isn't, and not that he hasn't, he doesn't have his little posse around, but I think, I think, I think, instead of waking up every morning charging at the devil, right, we should wake up every morning charging at the person we see in the mirror right? That's a good start. Maybe that'll help you overcome the attacks of the devil as they come, right? David faced many bad people in his life, but his strongest defeat came from himself. He wasn't any kind of guy. This is not, that, the reason why I gave you his track record is because he wasn't any kind of guy, right? One of the things we have seen numerous times in this series as we've, as we've talked about David is how extremely careful he was not to do anything that would affect what God was doing for him or his relationship with God. David understood the secret to his success was the presence and favor that was over his life that came directly from God. He was also a front row witness to the anointed men of God falling for different reasons, right before his eyes, learning what to do and what not to do in his entire life. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to verse 5. And I'm going to put that up. You know, I didn't realize last week that they have put my name in parentheses with a question mark. They told me that after. I couldn't believe that. 
2 Samuel 11, 1, 5. In the spring of the year, it was already getting hot. Here we go. Hey, guys, listen. This is going to be one of those rated R messages, all right? I don't know. It's not rated R, but you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's a strong. <clears throat> when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Hmm. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, pretty good life, and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed her purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, and this message came with Maury, all right? You got to be old enough to know what I'm talking about in the room, right? Right? I'm embracing it. You know, I'm getting older, and I love throwing these things out there. When people know it, I'm like, yeah. All the young people are like, huh? She said, I'm pregnant. And David, you are the father, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, So, listen, there is no more pressed sin in Scripture other than Adam and Eve, than this story of David and Bathsheba. Books, movies, they, they convey this idea that, that David was this, was this sort of sexual addict with uncontrollable animal-like drives, right? And in some parts, he did have some issues, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I want to clear this up and say, listen, this is not all true. Because one of the things that we have to realize as we sit here today, and, and while I'm talking about the highs of David's lives, is that so we can relate, right? Because the worst thing we could do here this morning is isolate David as this psycho that had issues that we can't relate with, right? Now, he was a man loved by God. He was still a man after God's own heart. Yet, he sinned, but his sin is no different than yours and mine's. As incredible as that may seem, right? I'm not. You know, I I said this a few weeks back. Try to never judge, right? Remember that the same grace that covers an open struggle is the same one covering your secret one. Right? So, listen, in no way I'm sitting here this morning trying to defend David. Or justify what he did. I'm simply trying to put this into perspective, into the right perspective. You know, there's a potential that you 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 could have came out of that relationship. I was talking to somebody here today, and she actually traced herself back to this relationship. And I said, "I'm sorry." <laughs> it's like. They're 109th great, 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 great. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, <laughs> don't 
have the right perspective. David was now 50 years old. Uh, he may have been a little older in this scenario. He had been now on the throne for approximately 20 years. So far, he's a man of God. We all know it. He's, he's written the book of Psalms. Um, he's a faithful shepherd, a great warrior. So, so we're not looking at a rebel here. This isn't your typical guy turning away from God, running away, doing his own thing, and then coming back. Right? This, this, isn't, this isn't the story of the prodigal son when you put it there. It, it, you may think that when you put the steps of how it happened, maybe it could be similar to it, but this, this wasn't the case. This guy seems to have his act straight every step of the way. But then he falls into sin and ends up having devastating consequences for him, his family, his kingdom, his nation. And that, that, that kind of brings the idea that sin always bears consequences. It may not be public ones, right? Your buddies may not know about it. But sin will always bear consequences. Where there is mental consequences, emotional consequences, there are things that take place when we make decisions. One of the worst things that we have done as people is connect the small choices that we make on a day-to-day -day basis to the big results we want to see in our lives. Sin happens that way. You think that because you take a step towards sin and you commit it once and you give in to it once that it's not having an effect in your life because the next day you repent it. But it doesn't work that way, right? It does work that way, but it has consequences. Did you know that when we pray for forgiveness, we're actually praying for salvation, not consequences? Right? That baby's still coming. You follow me? God will forgive you for salvation. Right? So when you say, God, I messed up. Forgive me. You're going to heaven. But those consequences are still there are still there. That thought process, those emotional feelings are still there, right? That's going to be a tougher battle. That's going to be a tougher battle, right? We see that, that here, a, a guy way on top falling. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. But according to the scripture, being on top is not the issue. David's problem wasn't that he was a king. It wasn't that he had accomplished too many things in his life. No. It wasn't his location. It was his position. We, we're all here today, and you could be in your 50s, 60s, 40s, teens, 20s, whatever. You're not too young or too old to fall. You may be sitting here today, ah, boys, this is really not my issue right now, Right? David would have probably answered the same thing, you know? And today, I want us to learn this story and hopefully gain an edge to the sin and temptations that so often seek to destroy our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. This morning, we're, we're going to uncover sin in a way, but what I really want us to kind of analyze and understand is how sin operates in our lives and how it sneaks in, which leads me to my first point, and it's number one, is that sin wants more. Sin wants more. Sin is literally the gateway drug. All right? It's not going to stop at one action. It will want to keep going. You know? Most of the time, sin creeps into our lives, and it progresses. It starts somewhere, and then it grows, and it grows. And you might be thinking, well, it, it seems like the David thing was kind of 
out of nowhere, right? It's like he was taking a nap. Yeah, he didn't go to war. He got up in the morning, was walking, and then he saw this beautiful woman. That's the problem. You know what I'm saying? Put on some clothes, girl. <laughs> but, but that wasn't really the case. Uh, <laughs> I didn't write that down here. No. <laughs> so, so David had already been making decisions in his personal life that had gotten worse little by little. He, there were guidelines given in the book of Deuteronomy for kings. And here's what they said. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 to 17, it says, You're about to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over, settle there. You may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If, it, if this happens, be sure to select as king the man that the Lord your God chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. So apparently the horses weren't the issue. It's that apparently Egypt was producing horses like crazy. And that's where you had to go get them. But listen to this, verse 17. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And then the last one, and, and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. You know, there were three things you couldn't do. Too many horses, too many women, and too much gold and silver for yourself. David was able to comply with two out of those three. We see he broke number two because if we read early on in 2 Samuel 5, 12 to 13, it says, And David realized that the Lord had confirmed his, him as king over Israel and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. After moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, okay, David married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. So you have this Deuteronomy thing, Right? This, this requirement of the king. And David, you can start to see that he's getting comfortable where he is. To the point where he's not knowing as he's taking these progressional steps towards defying God. Putting himself in a position of exposure. This was a direct contradiction to God's commandment. The same king who woke up in the morning and took another man's wife. Had already had a bunch of women. But sin once more. But sin once more. Apparently, David did have a strong sexual appetite. Right? And he thought, what way to satisfy this? More women. Right? And, and it's one of the lies that we tell ourselves as people is that, is that you know, um, good things could come out of bad practices. Right? Repeat after me, nothing good comes from evil. Say it again, nothing good comes from evil. Sinning more won't get rid of it. Doing it one more time won't want you to have it less. Right? There's no positive outcome that will come from it. If you're, if you're a young person in the room, more sex won't make you better in bed for your significant other. 
That's the reality, right? I got, I got some duct tape here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Forget it. Duct tape. You're thinking, what is he going to do? Right? Duct tape. Here we go. I'm feeling it. I don't know why I did this, but I did it. I'm going for it. The reality is that the more you do this, little parts of you leave, right? If I rip this, there's hair. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> so what happens is a little small part of me left. I'm not getting that back. Well, my hair will grow back, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right? And the, you know what happens is the more I stick this in different surfaces, the more it will take from it. But eventually what happens to the tape? It doesn't stick anymore. It's gone. Right? Sin is this progression that wants more and wants more. The more you do it, the more it takes. The less sticky it gets. Right? And in order to keep it going, in order to keep the high going, you have to take it to the next level and take it to the next level and take it to the next level, eventually destroying your life. Remember, if you remember anything, remember the duct tape illustration. <laughs> Heck, when you see sin, say duct tape. <laughs> right? We'll become numb to it. And to keep the high going, we'll want more. You know, out of the three guidelines that, that God gives to David in Deuteronomy or to gifts to kings in Deuteronomy, the only one that had consequences was number two. It said that the, the, the women will turn the king's heart away from the Lord. His, loss, his lust started to damage his integrity and he, in, in, in essence exposing him at a time where he was living his largest, highest point of life. You know, which kind of leads me to my second point is that Sin drives. Sin drives. Our sin is not asking for a ride to a destination or telling you where to go next and, and how we need to act when we get there. No, it's, asking, it's not asking for your opinion or permission, right? Sin is not doing any of that. Sin is driving. Sin is driving. It, it's, it, the idea of sin driving is that it's, it's all-in mentality. It's one of those things that you can't kind of, you know. You may say here today, oh, Moises, I'm really good. I don't have any issues. I'm just simply asking you to be careful. You know, our most difficult challenges as believers don't come during hard times when it comes to sin. Hard times create dependent people. When you're having a hard time, you look for God. You look at something. You need something. When you can't control a situation, we seek God. Survival keeps you humble. Pride happens when everything is swinging our direction. Promotions, accomplishments, milestones, fame, prestige, significance, you name it. There are two times... Two, to, these are the times you have to watch out for, especially when we're unaccountable people. David was being an unaccountable king. Instead of leading his army into battle 
as he had done before, David stayed behind. In the past, David was actively engaged in the Lord's battles, looking out for the kingdom of God and that advancement that was coming from it. But when our focus and our energy were no longer given to war, he began to idle and get comfortable, taking long naps. There's nothing wrong with long naps. It's an idea. As he became more comfortable with his position, his mind and heart began to drift away from wholesome things. You know, people want to blame the women for being too attractive or maybe because she was too provocative, right? But David was in bed, not in battle. He was not driving. In other words, he was, he, he was not walking in the process or in the purpose that God had aligned for him. Our greatest battles don't usually come when we're working hard, right? When you're working hard, you're staying busy. It's just part of life. They come when we're comfortable, when we have some extra time in our hands. Ah, oh, what am I going to do today? What am I going to look at? You know? That's when we make those horrible decisions. You know, it's like, it's like um, sin drives, right? It's like any, the husband's in the room, right? Do you like it when your wife sits next to you in the passenger side and it's <laughs> Clyde, let me finish, man. Like, that wasn't the, please. <laughs> Do you like it when your wife sits next to you in the car? No. All right. So, <laughs> um, and, and, and she's sitting there telling you what to do, what not to do, how to do it, when to do it. Speed up, slow down. You're going too fast. Are you trying to kill us? Right? Does it work? Does that work? No, we usually have like this rebellious attitude against it, right? Like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Women can't drive it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but in that idea, right, when we let sin drive, it's not something that you're going to be able to manipulate. It's not like you could tell and sit on the passenger side and, and as sin is driving your life, you're telling it, to, no, 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 that's too much. Slow down. I don't want to go that far, right? When sin is driving, sin is driving. And you won't have any influence over that. It's ultimately going to ruin your life. The only choice we have is to take back the steering wheel and take control of our lives. Sin is only fun for a little bit. We need to stop negotiating with sin. We have double lives, right? One day we want to hang out with sin. The other day we feel horrible about it. And we want to read, oh, we reject it. What happens in our lives that causes us to flip and flop like that? What do we think about? What are we watching? What happens in our lives? It could be different for all of us here today, you know? I could, I could tell you what, what happens. What happened to David, I could tell you. Like, you know, he was, he was idling. He was sitting. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And, and those things could be true for you. But what happens in your life when sin begins to drive? When it takes over the steering wheel of your life and takes you to different places where you didn't want to be in the first place? One decision after the other, right? Don't, no, don't get me wrong. I believe that both David and Bathsheba were, were wrong here, right? It's not like we hear that David took advantage of her, right? She was bathing very provocatively, right? She goes 
to David. Now, David was the king. I get it, right? And she, she has a pleasurable time with David. You know, it, it, it's, you say, what? Well, she could have been a little bit more modest. You know what I'm saying? Had a little bit more clothes on. Maybe David would have never noticed her. But David was definitely the aggressor, right? The Bible, I mean, look at it. He stopped, he stared, he lusted, he sought her, he lost control of his passions, and he laid with her. She was just bathing. The, girl, the girls in the room are like, that's right, men are sick, you know? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, you know, um, the Bible says in Mark chapter 7, verse 15, that it, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Listen to me. One of the most amazing things about the human body is that we're built to intake anything. Too often people are obsessed with controlling what comes in and not focus so much about what comes out. Right? It's like if it comes in, Moises, I know me, it's too late. So I'm going to find this rock and be a good Christian by staying underneath it. And, and in essence, we don't deal with those issues that are really killing us. Exposure is not killing us. It's how we react to it that's killing us. I'm not saying put yourself in horrible situations. What I'm saying is that God has given you the keys you know what, what he did when he died for us? He gave us dominion over sin. We were dominated by sin, but now because in the name of Jesus, you and I can stand strong and have dominion over it. So exposure is not killing us. Seeing it, experience it, right? It's not killing us. It's how we react to it. The effects that it has in our life. Now, don't get me wrong. When we're exposed to bad things, it, it does something inside of all of us, right? It takes a little extra. I'm not, I'm not saying go out there and expose yourself. <laughs> right? <laughs> Say that. Get that on the internet everywhere. I'm not saying expose yourself. All right? What I'm saying is that the problem is not exposure. That's not what's killing you. The Bible says that it's not what comes into the body. It's how it comes out. Right? Your body's built to filter. God has given you Jesus, death on a cross, shed his blood, has given you dominion over it, has put a filter inside all of us to intake whatever comes at us. Isn't that great? Right? But it's what we do with that and how we process it when it comes out. Right? So leading me to my third point, and it's that sin pays. Sin pays. When it comes to sin, we, we, we usually get a sign, right? God, I, I don't know if you're like me, but, but right before you, you, you're about to make that decision or commit or, or, or watch something or, or do something that you know is wrong, you usually get some kind of conviction hint if you're a Christian in the room. Would we agree to that? As a believer, God tries to kind of throw us a bone here and there, right? But sometimes the realistic thing is that in a moment of temptation, um, when it comes down to it, God is really unreal to us. He's non-existent. You want nothing to do with it because all you have is that sin before you. And it's hard to look at anything else. 
It's hard to overcome your mind and the thought because God in that moment becomes unreal, right? In verse 3, it says that he sent someone to find out who she was, and this is talking about David. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This guy knew David. He knew there were a lot of women in the palace. She's married, bro. Please don't do it. I think this messenger could see. Like, I, maybe he saw it in David's eyes. Like, back in the day, when you gave the, 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 the history of someone, you would talk about their family descendants. Who is this person? She is from this household, right? You never said she's married to this guy, okay, when describing the person. This messenger says she is married to Uriah, the Hittite. Please, please, don't do it. But sin pays. You know, the devil never shows you his full hand, right? He shows you the beauty, the ecstasy, the fun, the excitement. He never tells you, he never tells a heavy drinker or a drug addict, you're going to be hungover tomorrow. You're going to lose your entire family. If you buy this, you're going to go to jail. No, that never happens. When sin is done and all the penalties that come with it, Come, the devil is nowhere to be found. He is smiling at your fall. And when the consequences kicked in, he's nowhere to be found. And that's the truth. That's how life is. You know, and, and I'm using David's example of sin as a comparison, but your sin here today may not be sexual. The thing that you struggle with may be a mental, a, a character thing, whatever it may be. But there's real issues having, and, and, and there's real problems taking place. David's consequence was, hey, I'm pregnant. So what does David do? He panics. He panics. No sense in going to God. I did it. I messed up. This is my problem. I have to fix it. You have two choices. Go to God. Humble yourself. Right? Or give the keys to sin because you're too drunk to drive. And you, we all know that panic never produces good decisions or wise decisions, right? So let's read. Here we go. 2 Samuel 11, 6 to 13. Then David sent word to jo Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him that to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the armies were getting along and how the war was progressing. He didn't care. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. I think it was wine and food. Probably wine. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guards. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked him, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, man, and this is crazy. The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine? That's why I thought the gift was wine and dine, right? And sleep with my wife. I swear I would never do such a thing. So David says, okay, 
Stay here today, David told him. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that night, that day, and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. David just kind of out there pulling, you know what I'm saying? Doing what he can. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guards. Can we give it up for Uriah? This guy's real. <laughs> Wherever you are, man, you're the real MVP. David didn't really care how the war was going. He, he could care less. In this moment, Uriah showed way more character than David. I'm not saying he was better than David. I'm just saying in this moment, he held true. David was trying to repay. He was trying to repair sin with sin, wanting to get Uriah to actually commit a sin, something that went against his beliefs, something that he swore not to do. So what does David do? You would think this would be enough. No, David enters into bigger panic mode. David then makes an arrangement to move Uriah to the front of the line where he knew he would be killed. And so he orders Uriah to return to the army, to return to battle, puts him in the front of the line, and Uriah dies in battle. Problem solved. Back to life. It actually starts in verse 26 and 27. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Poor thing. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. One of them. Then she gave birth to a son. And this is the, this is the killer right here. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. You know, what a depressing turn of events. You, you say, I told you sin pays, and, and I believe sin pays with death. I believe we have a real problem here. Sin pays with death. You know that, that, that about one million lives are lost every year because of sex outside of marriage? That's 3,000 babies through abortion every day. Today. 3,000. Sin kills. Sin kills. Mm. I know we have depression and anxiety and stress problems, but, but sin is a problem. Our society, we're so sexualized. It's crazy. It's crazy. The number of people who will get married and have slept with at least eight people is 50%. In the contrary, the number of people who will get married and haven't slept with anyone is three to five percent. The number of young adults who have sexually transmitted diseases is one out of every three. With that rate, this year, 10 million young adults will contract an STD. It's one of the reasons why the Me Too movement exploded so much is because every 98 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted. Thirty percent of the internet is pornography, is pornographic. One third of everything that is in the internet is pornographic. 
The porn industry is a $97 billion industry, making more money than an MLB, NBA, NFL combined. Child pornography is a $3 billion industry. Eight, eight out of ten men between the ages of 18 and 30 view pornography monthly. One out of five women view pornography monthly. There's a problem here. Sin pays. More sin is not the solution, you know? You know, people in the ocean that get stranded, they say that one of the reasons why the, the, the highest cause of death from someone stranded in the ocean, it, it's not drowning, it's not, no, it, it's that they get so exhausted and thirsty that they drink the water of the ocean and the salt dehydrates them faster and they end up dying of dehydration because they panic. More sin is not the solution. You say, wow, Moises, this is kind of tough to take all in, right? You're like, sin, 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 it drives. It. You know, you're, you're like coming out as pretty strong, but I want you to realize what an issue it is. This wasn't a David problem. This is our 2021 society issue in the Christian church, something that we need to address personally. You know what, the, uh, the lovely part about all this is that sin pays, but God gives. Sin pays, but God gives. Hmm. You know, there, there was not a, a more vile, lustful group of people than the people Paul addresses in the book of Corinthians. I mean, being called a Corinthian was a, 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 a description of a prostitute. So, so saying to someone, stop being a Corinthian, it was like, stop being a prostitute. They literally had temples with over hundreds of prostitutes that would have sex 24-7. I don't care how vile we are as people, I don't think we even come close to having the Corinthian people beat. In, 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 in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing this issue of avoiding sexual sin, and he, he comes after this group of people, and he's talking to them, and, and this is where God gives, right? This is in verse 9. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Sin pays. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards, right? Or are abusive, abusive or cheap people. None of this will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is the statement that got me. He goes on to say all these things about these horrible people and how they're not going to enter heaven after these practices. Ah, and then God gives in verse 11. Then God gives. Oh, man. After sin pays, God gives. Aren't we thankful for that? Verse 11, Paul addressing these men, 
that were choosing to have sex with prostitutes over their own wives. When there was a real issue, Paul says in verse 11, some of you were once like that. This was an issue that was still happening. These weren't believers that had turned away completely from the issues happening in Corinth. And Paul says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You know, this morning it's not about looking at the person next to you. It's about looking at the person in the mirror. This morning it's not about looking at the society around us and all the bad things happening. It's about looking at the person right in front of you in that mirror. The truth is that, listen, we're really bad people, but we're not that bad. Christ has done so much more on the cross for us. That's why sin pays, but God gives. You want to know what's crazy is that we read the story of David, and in Psalms 19:12 we see how David talks about his hidden sins, things that we don't know he did. You would think, well, David, that's a horrible sin. The thing that he went through, the thing that he did, that was awful. He killed that man. He slept with that woman. He got her pregnant. Oh, my gosh, that's so bad, right? And then he goes on in, 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 in Psalms 19 and talks about sins that have been kept from the open. There were still things in David's life in regard to his sin that we don't know about. The same is true for us. There are still things that we struggle with, things in our lives that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that only you and God know. And I'm going to be bold about this. And I'm going to say, are you willing to confess? This morning, are you willing to, become, to, to come clean, right? The reality is that most Christians don't fall, don't fall out of love from God. They fall out of repentance. Our problem is not a love problem. It's a repentance issue. We're never wrong. There's too much grace to even talk about it, right? I want everybody to bow their heads right now. I know this is, listen, I know this is not a popular message, right? But I really want you to be honest this morning. You know, when we were getting these sermons ready, our locust pastor felt called to do a call for repentance this week. I feel called to do a call for repentance. And, and I'm just going to do it. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you don't bail out on grace. If you have something to confess to God this morning, right there where you're at, I want you to lift your hand. Hands all over the room. It's true. We have issues. We can't let that drive. We can't let that overtake. So I want to I want us to repeat a prayer together because there's many of us struggling and that's a reality there's a sin problem 
in our people. And God's grace is enough to cover it. But confession has to be true. And I want us to just kind of confess around the room right now. As we pray together, I want you to repeat after me and lay it out there. You may not have a problem, but the people around you do. There was a lot of hands that went up. A lot of people in the room that want to confess this morning. And we want to give them that opportunity. So right now, repeat after me. Jesus, I confess. You know the things that I've done, that I've thought about, that I've felt in my heart, the actions that I've taken. Please, God, forgive me. I know your blood and your grace is enough. But help me. Give us conviction that would overpower our temptations and help us not to fall in that trap of sin. I believe in you. And I repent this morning. I don't want to do the same things. I want to be different for you. Forgive me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you give it up for God?